All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we're talking about whose stock up and whose stock is down, including offensive lineman Elijah Wilkinson, as well as revisiting the big slot conversation and how the Falcons are uniquely positioned on both sides of the balls to deal with success with the current evolution of NFL offense. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP, still going strong on Twitter at Falcfans, and of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Sports Atlanta podcast family. And we thank everyone that makes Locked On Falcons their first listen each and every day. Uh, Locked On Falcons is, of course, free and available on a variety of podcast platforms Monday through Friday, including Apple Odyssey, Google, Spotify, and, of course, on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to the Locked On Falcons YouTube channel. Uh, hit that bell, give us a like, and you will get the video version of the podcast the night before the audio drops. And I also want to thank everyone that has decided to make Lockdown Falcons probably their second watch of the night after you've gone, grown tired uh, and got pretty bored with the first 15 minutes of uh, Thursday night's Hall of Fame game uh, between the, the Raiders and Jaguars, since I know everybody's excited about football coming back. But then when they sit down and actually start watching preseason games, like, oh, this is boring. What else is on TV? So <laughs> kudos to you guys for making Locked on Falcons your second watch of the evening. But we'll start today's episode uh, on this second watch talking uh, a little bit about a roster update, right? And sort of originally I was trying to think of sort of a way, you know, you know, I love my alliteration, mock draft Monday, all that various things. I was like, okay, we can do like a roster Wednesday. But then I kind of realized like, yeah, the alliteration doesn't quite work. And, uh, you know, sort of picking a specific day doesn't make a ton of sense. But today it works because the Falcons did not practice on Thursday. Uh, and so we don't necessarily have reactions to ongoings at training camp. And sort of just wanted to give an update on sort of looking back at the 53-man roster projection that I did two weeks ago before the start of training camp, and more of this as like a stock up, stock down, sort of who has sort of moved the needle, who sort of, you know, made me have to reassess those things. And, you know, we'll start with uh, Elijah Wilkinson, who wasn't initially on that 53-man projection from two weeks ago. But obviously, uh, if I was putting out one today, um, he would probably in include him and potentially come at the expense of Justin Schaefer. So, Elijah Wilkinson's stock is definitely up. The other player worth discussing here is Braden Linius, who I had projected to making the Falcons practice squad and, you know, projecting the 60 man practice squad is always just basically throwing darts at the board, guessing on which undrafted free agents, since the majority of the practice squad is made up of those guys, you know, impressing training camp. Uh, so not too upset getting that wrong, but you know, he was already cut earlier in, in camp. I think one on like the third day of training camp and the Falcons signed a safety in Henry Black to replace him. But it seems like Linnaeus sort of went by the wayside uh, in part, maybe due to another players that stock is up and that's Felipe Franks. So we'll talk about, uh, you know, Franks a little bit later, but let's, let's start off talking back about Wilkinson. 
And for those of you that don't know why his stock is up, you know, he's basically gotten the first team starting reps over Jalen Mayfield at that left guard position for six days straight. Mayfield started day one of training camp. And ever since then, it's been Wilkinson. Um, and Arthur Smith has praised Wilkinson and his performance and is saying Jalen Mayfield still got to work on some things. So it doesn't sound like, you know, we're going to see that change anytime soon. And essentially, if the season started tomorrow, we would expect Elijah Wilkinson to be the Falcons starting left guard. Uh, and so that doesn't necessarily guarantee that he will be on the roster come summer's end. It's not uh, unheard of. It's unusual, certainly. Uh, but, you know, a guy can start off the summer with a, a grip on the starting spot and be cut by the end of summer. You could argue that kind of happened to Joe Hawley uh, back in 2015 here in Atlanta. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But obviously, you know, it seems like Wilkinson, if he can maintain um, this momentum, can distance himself uh, and, and sort of give himself a safety net to avoid that sort of fate. So obviously, as we often say, this early in training camp, there's still a lot of camp left. There's still some preseason games left to determining the pecking order of the Falcons roster when we get to September and all that various stuff. But certainly for the offensive line, you know, we're going to be paying a lot more attention to the preseason games just because you have a limited number of padded practices. There's not really as much opportunity for these linemen, you know, in the trench players to really hit each other and, and play that full contact that they're going to need to play, obviously, when we get to September. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But certainly good for Elijah Wilkinson that seems to be raising his stock, uh, especially given, at least in my eyes, he wasn't necessarily uh, a guy that I saw making the roster. Now, I wouldn't necessarily contrast Wilkinson's stock being up with, say, Mayfield's stock or Justin Schaefer's stock being down per se. I kind of feel like for all of us serious people, uh, you know, serious people, in including myself, you know, they're they're kind of where at least I thought <laughs> they would be. Um, and, you know, basically my my stance on on both Schaefer and, and Mayfield it's like you know it shouldn't be a major surprise that a very raw player that Schaefer was at Georgia you know is basically working as the third string left guard um it shouldn't be a surprise you know that Jalen Mayfield who was also a very raw player at Michigan um is didn't make this massive leap in year 2 uh as so many people projected him to uh, given that narrative that the only issue that Jalen Mayfield had was he just didn't have enough reps at left guard. But, you know, it's a shame that like no one possibly in the world could have seen any of this coming. Right. And, uh, you know, if you're listening to the podcast, you just miss me wink. So wink, wink, like no one possibly could have seen that the Falcons left guard position uh, you know, was going to be this topsy-turvy. So um, I think right now, if we're assuming Wilkinson is going to be, you know, the starter and, and make this roster, that whoever winds up being the third string left guard by summer's end is going to be on the roster bubble uh, and potentially be cut. And at this point in time, given that Schaefer has been sort of that guy so far, and again, you, you know, this left guard position is so topsy-turvy and the Falcons are so topsy-turvy that, you know, it wouldn't completely shock me uh, if it was completely flipped by the time we get to August 30th and the final cuts are made and Justin Schaefer's getting those starting reps and Elijah Wilkinson's working with third three. Uh, but, you know, I think 
you know, whoever that guy is, is probably going to get cut. And at this point in time, I would probably put Schaefer on my practice squad instead of having him on the roster. And that's not a surprise. Again, again, who, who possibly could have predicted this, but you know, maybe somebody back in like early June when talking about Justin Schaefer basically said that of the Falcons, 2022 draft picks, you know, he was probably on the, the least surest footing of the guys that, you know, could, if anybody, one of these draft picks was likely to get cut um, this summer, you know, he was probably the best bet that you can make. You know, if only someone out there, wink, uh, had said that back in the day. So uh, let's talk about uh, Felipe Franks' stock being up. And Felipe Franks is interesting because he's polarizing, although polarizing is probably not the appropriate word because most, you know, polarizing implies that, you know, there's good and bad. There's people that are high or low on him. And it's mostly, I thought a lot of people, at least based off of the Falcon fans I've interacted with over the last year, were generally negative and, and low on Felipe Franks. Um, but, you know, I wasn't necessarily in in that camp, at least as far as his transition to the tight end position. Um, you know, you know, I love to be contrarian when it comes to this stuff. But sort of, you know, I had Braden Linnaeus on the practice squad in large part because I thought he you know, fit well as a sort of developmental pass catcher that could be, you know, the guy that we could develop as the long-term backup behind Kyle Pitts. Um, and, and it goes back to the conversation we've had many times on this podcast about the value of depth. And it's not about having got like, no one's going to be as good as Kyle Pitts, uh, or at least realistically, no one's going to be as good as Kyle Pitts, but depth isn't really about having backups as good as your starters depth is really about having backups that can do some of the same things that your starters do so that when your starter gets hurt and inevitably it happens uh you don't have to necessarily completely scrap your offense in your playbook because all of a sudden this key component of your offense in our case Kyle Pitts is missing and you don't have a comparable pass catching sort of tight end obviously you know, you're not expecting Franks or Linnaeus to be as good as Kyle Pitts. But, you know, the examples I've used to illustrate that point is you look at a player like Tyreek Hill. Miko Hardman is his sort of backup. Miko Hardman's not as good as Tyreek Hill, but he does similar things. You can see a Falcons example back in 2016 when Julio Jones missed a couple of games. The Falcons inserted Algic Robinson in life. No one thinks Algic Robinson is as good as Julio Jones, but he can do a lot of the vertical stuff that Julio Jones, especially that season, was capable of doing. And so you didn't have to completely scrap your offense because your best player, uh, your best weapon is out of the lineup. Um and so the idea is, you know, Felipe Franks could potentially be that guy. He seems to be taking well to the tight end position. And, you know, last year he got like, what, two snaps as a tight end. I actually thought like he he looked decent for a former quarterback. Like most of my beef with the Falcons usage of Felipe Franks wasn't the time he spent at tight end. It was just kind of all the wildcat stuff, the very vanilla wildcat stuff that they were doing with him. It was like, Oh, what's the point of this? <laughs> just hand the ball off to Cordero Patterson or Mike Davis. It will be infinitely better than what you're trying to do with Felipe Franks. Um, but you know, it's, it shouldn't be a surprise that Felipe Franks seems to be adapting well to the tight end position. His brother, Jordan Franks uh, is a, a tight end that was with the Cleveland Browns last year. I don't know if he's currently in an NFL camp, Um and, you know, Felipe Franks is a heck of an athlete. You know, he's like a 90th percentile athlete as a quarterback. But, you you know, look at RAS, relative athletic score, he's like an 82nd percentile athlete as a tight end. So, you know, shouldn't be a complete shocker that, you know, he's seemingly taking well to the position. So his stock is definitely uh, up. I already had Felipe Franks on my 53-man roster projection, um, although at the time I was assuming that he would kind of split reps at quarterback and tight end. Uh, but so far he's been working exclusively at the tight end position, and now I don't know if he's going to get any reps at quarterback uh, given 
seemingly the momentum that he's showing at the tight end position. Uh, and we've already talked about that, I think, earlier this week about how, you know, the, the lack of reps that Franks is getting in practice and, and then ultimately in the preseason will lead to increased reps for Desmond Ritter and how that's going to be beneficial to his long-term development as well. Um, and so I had four tight ends initially making the roster uh, in Pitts and Anthony Ferkser and Parker Hesse and, and John Fitzpatrick. And I guess technically now, instead of considering um, Franks to be a quarterback in my roster counting, maybe I should consider him to be that fifth tight end. And maybe that means the Falcons, you know, guys like Hesse and, and Fitzpatrick, uh, are on watch now. There's putting a little bit more pressure on that because if they wind up only keeping four tight ends, it's, it may not be Felipe Franks as the guy getting cut. Instead, it's going to be one of those two. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. I still kind of project Franks to be inactive on game days, but you know that could change if he does carve out a uh, defined role on special teams, right? And you know that seemed like a long shot before we kind of mentioned it offhand when we talked about the special teams unit uh, back in July. Uh, but now it seems a little bit more plausible, especially if he can show himself uh, to, to perform well, potentially in that capacity in game. So similar to the offensive line games are going to matter, particularly for a quote unquote trench or physical position like tight end. And we'll see if Felipe Franks can sort of hold his own enough as a blocker that the Falcons won't look at him as a massive liability. Uh, should he get on the field sooner versus later or whatever the case may be? We essentially, we don't want to see any Tim Tebow's out there that are like, why is this guy, what is this guy doing on a football field? Like, you know, like Tim Tebow was uh, when he was being, um, you know, trying to transition to the tight end position in, in Jacksonville and then in, in New England uh, years prior to that, uh, where he clearly had no business being out there. So uh, we'll see how that goes, guys. Uh, and we'll continue today's episode talking about an article that Robert Mays of The Athletic wrote about the emergence of the big slot, as I term it, but he termed it as the power slots and how the Falcons on both sides of the ball, offense and defense, sort of are uniquely positioned to sort of get in on this sort of action uh, as the NFL is evolving towards this style of offense and sort of how Drake London and, and other pieces on their offense really fit this paradigm as well as Isaiah Oliver on the defense side of the ball. We'll continue that as we uh, uh, continue today's Locked on Falcons episode, guys. But uh, before we get there, guys, um, I want to tell you uh, about – Dave, uh, you know, Dave is here to get us out of these stressful situations when money can be a little tight for all of us. We've all been in that situation where you're kind of living paycheck to paycheck and you wish you had a little bit of extra security. Uh, and Dave is here to help you out. Dave's not a person. Dave's a banking app that can get you five hundred up to $500 instantly with extra cash. There's no interest. There's no credit check needed. Millions have already downloaded the Dave app, and you can too. Just go to the App Store, download the Dave app, that's D-A-V-E, and sign up for an extra cash account, and you'll get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees applies. Banking provided by Evolve, member FDIC. Trust me, your future you will thank you. So Robert Mays of The Athletic wrote an article that dropped on Thursday um, about big slots. At least that's how I have traditionally called them, but he termed it power slots. And it was timed beautifully. Of course, me and Robert got together and said, okay, I'm going to talk about this on the, the Thursday episode of the podcast. You dropped this art. No, of course, yeah, that was not the case. But it is timely given that yesterday's episode, we did talk uh, at the beginning of that episode 
uh, about Drake London and his fitting as that sort of, let's call him power slots uh, from here on. Um, and Drake London was notably mentioned in that article um, by Robert Mays today. And sort of the gist of the article, for those of you that did not read it, I always recommend going check out, you know, the good work over at The Athletic. Uh, but he was basically talking about how the slot receiver position has evolved from the days where Wes Welker is the prototype. And, and still to this day, there's probably a pervasive view that Wes, Wes Welker type of receivers is your, you know, traditional slot receiver. But today, the sort of prototype slot receiver is Cooper Cup. Um, and that has changed over the last 15 years. And, you know, I, I know probably still there's a lot of people out there that probably for superficial reasons, wink, um, you know, sort of still liken Cooper Cup to a Wes Welker type of receiver. But that's because people forget that, you know, Cooper Cup is a 6'2", 210-pound receiver, and he's kind of built more like a Mohamed Sanu uh, in terms of his build and whatnot. And Mohamed Sanu would certainly qualify uh, as one of these power slots that we've seen become much more prevalent in the league over the last several years. Um, and, you know, part of the reasons for why this uh, evolution has occurred in NFL, at least according to Mays, and I agree with him on this, is in large part due to the increase in the links to the increase in 11 personnel or those three wide receiver sets. And back in 2008, when Welker was in his second year in New England, uh, teams used three wide 11 personnel 34% of the time. And in this past year, it was about 61% of the time. So it's nearly doubled uh, in the last, you know, 14-ish years. Um, and part of the reason why teams are looking more at the bigger slots or the power slots than the sort of traditional smaller, quicker slots is in part due to the prevalence of the running game and teams want to have still that value in the running game than rather than just being basically being a pure passing attack. And, you know, the Rams and Cooper cup kind of personify this uh, because, you know, while we, you know, all know the Rams to be this sort of high powered, uh, you know, passing attack at, at its core, you know, they are a sort of balanced run base sort of offense, which is the variation of the Shanahan style offense that you see here in Atlanta that McKay has evolved with the Rams. Um, and I think this sort of emphasis on the run game is a big part of why it was important for the Falcons to increase the size of their wide receiver room this offseason. I know the contested catch stuff gets the bulk of the uh, attention and, and takes up the bulk of the conversation when we talk about why the Falcons offense is going to be better due to the size they have at the wide receiver. Although, you know, my personal opinion is that stuff, it matters, but I think it does kind of get overblown a little bit as if like it's going to completely revolutionize, you know, the Falcons offense and whatnot. But I think really the onus behind it uh, is because Arthur Smith's offense wants to be a, a run first balanced offense that we're talking about. And that's what they were in Tennessee. That's why AJ Brown and Corey Davis, their big wide receivers work so well uh, that way. Cause essentially it's like having four tight ends on the field where you have these bigger wide receivers, these 220 pound, 230 pound receivers, especially given that Arthur Smith, you know, loves his 12 personnel, the two tight end sets. And so you're, you know, you're putting a 240 pound tight end uh, in addition to these, you know, quote unquote, undersized tight ends at the wide receiver position uh, as well as, you know, 250 pounder or whatever. Um, and out there to really benefit the running game. And we obviously saw, you know, that wasn't the main reason why Derrick Henry was successful. Derrick, you know, Derrick Henry's probably bigger than a lot of those tight ends uh, in reality, but like, you know, it was a contributing factor that when you're a run based offense, um, that's what you're, you're sort of looking for. And we know Drake London, 
and, and Brian Edwards fit into this paradigm very well. They're both physical run blockers that will certainly fit in that. And, you know, talking about Drake London, you know, going back to yesterday's episode, I know a lot of people, you know, had a adverse uh reaction to yesterday's episode but really the point of that episode was not to say oh drake london's struggling in training camp it was just to basically say like he's a big slot and i probably should have done a better job you know presenting that argument up front and basically saying drake london's a big slot or a power slot uh and here's why and then basically said all the same things i said but just presented it in a different way so i apologize if anybody was confused and thought i was sitting here slandering drake london and saying he's struggling in training camp i wasn't saying that which is basically making the case of why he's best utilized as a power slot uh but you know you saw brian edwards last year especially uh with the raiders that he was a lot more efficient as a slot receiver than he was as an outside th- receiver I think in part due to the fact that the Raiders wanted to make him more of a, a vertical threat in their offense. And that's not really what Brian Edwards specializes when he did line up outside. Uh, and then of course you, in addition to those guys being those sort of power slot receivers, you essentially have a similar at the tight end position where you have Anthony Ferkser who spent the bulk of his time in Tennessee lining up in the slot. And that's why we jokingly call him Swole Beasley. That's, you know, that comes from what Tyler Rowland, the host of Locked on Titans said about Anthony Ferkser, where he's essentially a 240 pound Cole Beasley. Um, and then of course you have Kyle Pitts who spent, you know, you know, we talk about how little he spent in line and as much as he spent out wide, but the bulk of his snaps came out of the slot in that sort of flex tight end sort of role. So you have four players that really add interchangeability at this position that all can sort of be the stand in, whether they're wide receivers or whether they're tight ends as this sort of power slot. And I think we're going to see a lot of that quartet. Uh, of London Edwards, Ferkser, and Pitts this season, in addition to Alameda Zacchaeus also being in the mix. But obviously, he does not necessarily fit this paradigm and narrative that we're talking about. Uh, and so I think you'll see a lot of three-by-one sets this year uh, where you have sort of the three wide receivers lined up on one side of the field in a bunch or trips formation, if you want to call it that. And then you have the one receiver sort of isoed on the outside opposite. You'll probably see Kyle Pitts being that one guy that's main isoed Right. Um, But, you know, I think all of these guys uh, can do that to a certain extent, uh, at least the other three guys that we're talking about in this sort of uh, power slot uh, quartet. And, you know, the Falcons ran a a bunch of those three by one sets last year, I think a large part due to the fact that they didn't necessarily have a premier wide receiver talent that you could just line up and expect guys to get open uh, like we had in previous years with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. Uh, and obviously going back to Roddy White and Tony Gonzalez in those days. Um, and so you kind of compensate for that by using those bunch formations uh, in, in creating route combinations off of that. And I kind of think, you know, it's a spicy take, I know, but like, I don't think the Falcons wide receiver talent has dramatically increased. It's It's gotten better, but I don't think you're just going to line up and expect you know, this group of receivers that just get open against, you know, all levels of competition, at least not yet. You know, again, we'll see what Drake London develops into. Certainly Brian Edwards is still a young guy, all these various things. Obviously Kyle Pitts is not fully formed in that. So certainly in the future, I, I think, you know, we can have more of that conversation, but I don't know if we're going to see that. And so I think that for those same reasons, you know, these three by one sets will also benefit this year's group of uh, wide receivers and, and power slots as well. Uh, so, um, you know, we don't spend a lot of time praising Arthur Smith on this podcast. 
but uh, you know, I certainly think it could work out for them. There's pros and cons to having that sort of interchangeability between these four sort of power slots. You know, um, you know, I think the interchangeability is the main pro so that in the event that someone does get injured, you don't have to necessarily scrap anything. You can just sort of plug and play and keep it moving. The con of that is that, you know, typically teams build their wide receiver cores to be a little bit more complementary where you got a speed guy, you got a quick guy, you got, you know, so that you're trying to attack defenses in different ways uh, rather than, you know, using that one size fits all sort of prototype. So we'll see sort of where the Falcons lean on that sort of spectrum and fall on that spectrum uh, with this group, but certainly uh, reasons to be optimistic that the Falcons are certainly living up to the, you know, and and part of this evolution uh, towards power slots. Now, uh, part of the evolution is, you know, how do defenses try to stop it? And the Falcons, I think, are positioned well, given the presence of Isaiah Oliver, to, you know, deal with teams that have these power slots. And we'll see uh, about how Isaiah Oliver can uh, fare this upcoming season um, facing a, a number of these guys this season. We'll talk about that to wrap up today's episode, guys. Uh, but before we get there, you know, there's no better time to head on over to betonline.net, the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info, whether you're looking for the latest odds, contests, or player props. BetOnline has it all. This time of year is great. You know, tonight, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, you, you know, maybe it's probably going to be too late for most of you listening to this or watching this to to get in on the Hall of Fame game between the Raiders and Jaguars where the Raiders are two and a half point favorites. But you can always, you know, check out Bet Online to get ahead of next week's preseason action uh, with the Patriots being two point favorites over the Giants, the Ravens being five point favorites over the Titans. Or you may want to bet on Major League Baseball, UFC, boxing, esports, Vegas casino games, NBA, NHL, as well as NFL futures bets. Find them all at betonline.net uh, to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. So the other part of Robert Mays' article about the evolution of power slots was talking about how defenses are evolving to stop it. Uh, and the main point he was making in that article was sort of the increased usage of the uh, big nickel. And, you know, you guys know that nickel defenses are when you have five defensive backs on the field. And traditionally, nickel defenses, that is three corners and two safeties. But the big nickel is when you have two corners and three safeties. And obviously, players like Ty- Tyron Matthew in his days in Arizona and now Buda Baker in Arizona are these, quote unquote, safeties that spend a lot of time playing in the slot. Um, CJ Gardner Johnson in New Orleans is that, uh, the Falcons utilized big nickel last year, certainly in the, in the games after Isaiah Oliver's injury, when Eric Harris was there to try to keep this defense treading water during that time, you could technically say Richie Grant was a big nickel since he's listed as a safety, although he played exclusively in that sort of slot cornerback role. We also saw Ricardo Allen at various points in his time back in the day, sort of dabble as that sort of big nickel, uh, slot corner. Um, and you know, one of the things that Robert Mays mentioned in the article is kind of the pros and cons of playing at big nickel. You obviously you're getting usually a bigger guy to deal with some of these power slots. Uh, that's the pro uh, of playing at big nickel. Um, but the con is that usually, uh, you're not necessarily with the exception of some of these sort of more elite guys like honey badger and Buda Baker that we're talking about. Uh, you're usually not getting the guys that are as good in man coverage, putting a safety in the slot as you would uh, putting a corner in the slot. Uh, And that's led to um, teams utilizing a lot more zone defense, uh, according to Mays. And we've talked about this a lot with the Falcons and how to lie and how Dean Pease wants to play ad nauseum. And he wants to be a zone heavy defense and all these various things, but the Falcons, you know, can basically play big nickel 
uh, and use a safety there uh, because they essentially have a cornerback that has safety size. And of course, we're talking about Isaiah Oliver. And, you know, we know that Isaiah Oliver was the second round pick of the Falcons in 2018 so that the team could, um, you know, deal with the size in the division of Mike Evans and Michael Thomas. And, you know, while no one would argue that Mike, uh, Isaiah Thomas like shut those guys down, but when you go back over those first two and a half years uh, where Oliver was playing primarily on the outside, uh, you know, some of his more decent games did come against, you know, the saints and the bucks during that span. But we know that, you know, those decent performances were far, far outnumbered by a lot of struggle games. And most of those coincided when Oliver was forced to have to deal with speed. Uh, and that was always kind of the weakness of Isaiah Oliver. And, you know, I'm not going to rattle off instances, you know, DK Metcalf. Okay. I'm not going to rattle off anymore. You know, T.Y. Hilton. Okay. I'm not going to rattle off anymore. Uh, of times where Isaiah Oliver struggled against those quicker, speedier wide receivers. Uh, and so, you know, that led to the Falcons kind of moving him to the slot uh, early in the 2020 season. And it seemed to fix that issue because in the slot, you're not necessarily dealing with as many guys that are running vertical routes, right? You know, the article that Robert Mays mentioned is sort of those speed slots. Tyreek Hill would fit uh, in that category, but there aren't too many Tyreek Hills in the league as we, as we well know. Uh, and so typically as a slot corner, you're not going to have to worry as much about the the vertical stuff that, Oliver consistently struggled with in those first two and a half years. And so that's led to, um, you know, his performance taking away his biggest weakness and allowing him to focus on some of his strengths, which is in run support and being that physical uh, corner in the slot. And hopefully, you know, we're hoping that Oliver can pick up where he left off before he got injured, where you could make the case that he was, you know, based off of some metrics, like a top five nickel cornerback last year uh, in year one under Dean Pease. And, you know, he re-signed a, a one year sort of prove it deal. Um, and we'll see if he can prove it. Right. And, and it goes back to another thing that we talked about on yesterday's episode when I was being oh so negative uh, about the Falcons, as so many of you guys told me in the comments uh, back, you know, during that portion of the episode where, you know, we were talking about how great the outlook for this defense looks uh, and how positive it is. But, you know, I, I again, I apologize uh, for being negative when I was talking about that, but how, you know, the next decade, the Falcons are only a couple of pieces away from potentially having one of the better defenses in the NFL. And, and certainly if Isaiah Oliver can play well, have that bounce back season, prove it and earn a multi-year contract uh, and show why the Falcons should give him a lucrative multi-year contract, you could theoretically uh, fitting in with that, you know, that's also negative uh, thing that I said on yesterday's episode of uh, you know, looking ahead at the next decade, the Falcons theoretically you know, could have four out of their five, you know, secondary spots kind of locked up long term with Oliver and AJ Terrell and Richie Grant and Jalen Hawkins. If those guys develop and, you know, given that Oliver's still relatively young, he's only gonna be 26 uh, by the time we get to the end of September. Um, and then you're, you potentially have four of those five spots locked up. Um, and then, you know, then you're just looking for an heir apparent for Casey Hayward. Uh, at some point in the next year or two, probably with like a second round pick or something like that. Uh, and you're kind of good to go long-term at, at the secondary. But again, I, I apologize for being negative about that stuff. Uh, you know, just call me Mr. Drew, call me Mr. Reagan for being a negative Nancy on here. But certainly the Falcons have a lot of potential there with this secondary and Isaiah Oliver can fit into that. Um, but, you know, I'll be curious to see how he performs this year because one of the things we talked about last month on the cornerback preview is, you know, some of these matchups, against some of these premier slot receivers that he's going to see, particularly in the first half of the season. Uh, so he's going to have to kind of hit the ground running coming off of that ACL injury. Uh, now, obviously, given that the Falcons are probably going to wind up playing a ton of zone 
potentially, I think, between like 70 and 80 percent of their snaps in zone, you're not going to see as many sort of one-on-ones against some of these guys. But, you know, you got week one, you got Jarvis Landry. Week two, you got Cooper Cup. Week three, you got Tyler Lockett. Uh, week four, I think the Browns are leaning towards their rookie out of Purdue, David Bell, uh, to be their slot receiver. And he does fit in that power slot paradigm. Uh, week five, we'll see if Chris Godwin's back by then. But if not, then you got Russell Gage. Week six, you know, the 49ers don't have a sort of defined uh, slot receiver. But, you know, Debo Samuel gets gets more snaps in the slot than anybody else on that team. And obviously is their number one wide receiver. So that's going to present some challenges. Week seven, you got Tyler Boyd week eight. You got, uh, apparently it sounds like, you know, this, uh, undrafted free agent named CJ Saunders is about to unseat Terrace Marshall jr. Uh, for that slot receiver spot, you know, between him and, um, between, uh, DJ Moore and, and Robbie Anderson. Uh, so we'll see about that. um, and he's he's more that Wes Welker type. But uh and then of course in week nine you got the Chargers and Keenan Allen. And so when you're looking at that lineup, you know, you can make a case, especially if Godwin's healthy uh and plays in that week five matchup, uh, you know, you're facing potentially seven out of like the top ten ish, you know, slot receivers in the NFL all coming in the front half of the schedule. Um and so even if he's not necessarily lining up and, and playing those guys man to man every single snap, he's certainly going to have his work cut out for him because several of these teams kind of their go-to weapon uh, is their uh, slot receiver. So he's going to be challenged a lot there. So certainly if he comes out of that and plays well uh, during that front half of the season, he will definitely be well on his way to earning that multi-year contract. And then of course, you know, uh, leading the Falcons, you know, secondary to, to being a, a pretty solid unit for many years to come. But again, I apologize for being negative about that stuff. Uh, so guys, that's it. <laughs> that's what we're, we were done talking about that. We'll be back, um, n- on Monday or Sunday evening on here on YouTube, Monday morning on your preferred audio platform of the podcast, uh, to give you the reaction to all the things going on in Falcons training camp, uh, over the weekend. And, you know, we didn't have, uh, any guests this week, but you know, the plan is to have plenty of those guys, uh, and girls, uh, joining us next week to talk more about training camp and, and tell me why I'm completely wrong on Drake London, uh, you know, being destined to be this power slot uh, of the future. Uh, but, um, you know, we'll see how that goes guys, but I really appreciate you tuning in. I hope you have a great weekend. I hope you enjoy, um, your, you know, preseason football action. If you had the chance to check it out on Thursday night, I hope you enjoy watching all the speeches uh, over the weekend uh, from the hall of fame induction ceremony and all that stuff. So really appreciate it guys. We'll be back with more content here on locked on Falcons next week. Uh, always thank you guys for having making locked on Falcons your first listen. Uh, always recommend your second listen being locked on sports, Atlanta uh, locked on Hawks, locked on Braves, locked on Bulldogs. And of course you can also check out locked on NFL to get the lowdown on what happened in the Hall of Fame game uh, on Thursday night, as well as what's going on for the all their 31 teams in training camp this summer. Appreciate it, guys. Till then.